I wonder when you last felt at your weakest. Just have a think for a moment. When you last felt really weak. Maybe you were in a situation at home or at school or at work and you really felt out of your depth. You didn't have the answers that you needed. Uh, you couldn't see a way out of the situation. You just felt totally powerless. Maybe you've been faced with an injury or an illness that has uh, resulted in you feeling weak. Resulted in you having reduced capacity. The things that you used to do with ease, you now can't do at all, or at the very least, not as quickly and not as well. Maybe you've been faced with criticism from friends about your Christian faith. You felt unable, uh, too weak to answer their objections. Uh, maybe, uh, like me, you've got some friends who are uh, quite intelligent, uh, good at arguing, uh, sophisticated in the way they speak, and your answers to their objections about the Christian faith just seem so lame and so power powerless compared to their arguments. You just feel weak. It's not nice feeling weak. I'm sure we can all agree about that. I'm aware of my own weakness uh, regularly, and my weaknesses are pointed out even more regularly. And I can remember a time at the start of taking on this role as a pastor in training uh, when I felt especially weak, more weak than normal. I was in a perfect storm of uh, assignments and coursework, uh, pressures of ministry work, uh, challenges in home life, and I just felt entirely unqualified and incapable of dealing with any of it. The reality is that we all feel weak at some point or another. Uh, we can pretend all we like. We can put on uh, shiny, happy faces. We can tell people that we're fine. But when the front door is shut and there's nobody there to impress, we know fine well that we're weak. And what I want to do this Easter Sunday evening is spend some time thinking about how the resurrection uh, of the Lord Jesus Christ relates to our everyday experience of weakness. You see, my sense is that for most of us who would call ourselves Christians, we have no difficulty uh, understanding what the resurrection means in terms of uh, new life, uh, in terms of Jesus defeating uh, the power and the penalty of sin, and ensuring that we will be with Him to reign forever for all eternity. But I want, us to help, uh, I want to help us to see tonight and to understand how the resurrection fits with our everyday life right now, and specifically how it relates to our weaknesses, and why because of the resurrection, we don't have to fear our weaknesses or to pretend that we're not weak. And 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7 to 18 is going to help us in doing that. So why don't you, you turn there just now and let's read uh, those words together. You'll find it on page 1160 of the church Bibles.
2 Corinthians chapter 4, starting at verse 7, page 1161. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that his life might be revealed in our mortal body. So then death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. It is written, I believed, therefore I have spoken. Since we have that same spirit of faith, we also believe and therefore speak. Because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you to himself. All this is for your benefit, so that the grace that is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is, what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Did you notice Paul's own sense of weakness in that passage? Look with me at verses 8 and 9. And let's pick out the words that Paul uses to describe his weakness. The first one there, hard-pressed on every side, perplexed, persecuted, struck down, these are words that Paul uses to describe himself and his colleague Timothy's ministry. Weak, ordinary, unimpressive. And because of this weakness, some people were starting to question Paul's credentials to be an apostle. These so-called super apostles uh, took pride in things that were seen, uh, pride in the outward appearance, and they were not impressed at all by Paul's weakness. And the church in Corinth that Paul is writing to in this letter uh, was in danger of becoming embarrassed by Paul's weaknesses. Uh, they were in danger of drifting and aligning themselves to these super apostles, being seduced by them. Uh, these super apostles were saying all sorts of stuff about Paul. In fact, come over with me to chapter 10. Chapter 10, verse 10, you'll see the sorts of things that these super apostles we're saying about Paul. For some say his, that is Paul's, letters are weighty and forceful, but in person he's unimpressive and his speaking amounts to nothing. I don't think there's anything worse than you could say about a preacher than that. In person he is unimpressive and his speaking amounts to nothing. Harsh words there. But what Paul does in this really, really personal letter is he doesn't attempt to disguise his weaknesses or downplay them or say that he's not weak. Instead, what he does is he lays them out all on the table. He 
uh, pours out his heart in this letter about what he's going through for the sake of the gospel. And Paul says that he does not need to feel inferior to these super apostles about his weaknesses because it's through his weaknesses that God is achieving great things. God has a plan for Paul, and Paul's weaknesses are a part of that plan. They're not wasted. They're not a black mark against Paul's name. And tonight what I want to do is I want to pick out three things from this passage that God uses Paul's weaknesses for. Three things in this passage that God uses Paul's weaknesses for. And the first one is this. In our weakness, God gets the glory. Jesus is seen and people are saved. In our weakness, God gets the glory, Jesus is seen, and people are saved. Let's see how God gets the glory from verse 7. Look how Paul describes himself there in verse 7. A jar of gold, jar of platinum, jar of titanium, no, a jar of clay. He describes himself and Timothy as jars of clay, just common household items, nothing important, like the cardboard cups that we use for coffee. We use them once and discard them, nothing important at all, nothing special. You see, the important thing in verse 7 is not the jar of clay itself, but what is inside the jar of clay. See what's inside the jar of clay? Treasure. And we see what that treasure is in the verse before, in verse 6. The knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. In other words, the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. The good news of Jesus. This is the treasure that Paul had within him and that we have if we're trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's God's deliberate plan to put his uh, treasure in ordinary vessels like us, in ordinary people like Paul, but why does he do that? Well, again, verse 7 helps us out here. It's to show that his, this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. You see, what our ordinariness does is that it draws all attention to God and away from ourselves. Our weakness points to the wonder of God. I had the privilege of being at uh, Matt, who was leading earlier, his, his wedding last week. And uh, one of the best things, I have to say one of, it's not the best, but one of the best things about that wedding uh, was the cheese. <laughs> they had a phenomenal amount of cheese, a massive display at the back of the hall of cheese for us to eat. And it was incredible stuff. Of all, cheese of, I mean, I didn't even know some of the names of these cheeses. It was a, a real talking point, a real way to get to know people. We were kind of talking, oh, what's this? Never seen some of these cheeses before. Phenomenal stuff. Nobody standing around that table was talking about the crackers. <laughs> Nobody said, look at these dry, crispy rectangles. The purpose of the cracker was to hold this amazing, phenomenal cheese. We're jars of clay. We're nothing special. The treasure of the gospel is what is on display through us. It's not about us. It's all about the treasure displayed through us. Then Paul describes what it looks like to be a jar of clay in verse 8. Look at the things that he uses to describe his situation. He says he's hard-pressed on every side. 
That means he's, he's under pressure from different angles, from different people. He doesn't have his troubles to seek, as it were. Uh, then we read that he's perplexed. Uh, it's like he's boxed into a corner. Uh, he doesn't know what to do at times. Verse 9 says he's, he's persecuted. He, in other words, he's suffering, no doubt because of his faith and his ministry. And then finally, he shares that he's struck down. Some commentators like uh, John Stott think that this is to do with uh, depression, some kind of uh, mental health problem that Paul was suffering from. He's experiencing all these difficulties, and yet, amazingly, that's not the full story. These weaknesses do not define Paul entirely. You see, in these same verses, verses 8 and 9, we see that Paul, although Paul and Timothy are hard-pressed on every side, they're not crushed. Although they're perplexed, they're not in despair. Though they're persecuted, they're not abandoned. And though they're struck down, they're not destroyed. This is how God gets glory from His people. His surpassing power is seen in Paul's perseverance. If you want to know what resurrection power looks like every day, it's this, it's in persevering. It looks like being hard-pressed on every side but not being crushed. It looks like being perplexed but not in despair. It looks like being persecuted but not being abandoned. It looks like being struck down but not being destroyed. I'm getting a lot of adverts at the moment when I go online for juicers. I think the guy who runs the internet must have seen my scales and maybe think I need to change uh, my diet. Uh, the way that juicers work is that they apply pressure to extract all that glorious goodness out of fruit and veg and provide you with a drink. Similarly, God's all-surpassing power is displayed through weak people who on their own would chuck in the towel and yet by God's power are sustained, not crushed, not in despair, not abandoned, not destroyed. If Paul was strong and impressive and powerful, people might think that Paul was great. But God keeps Paul weak to show that the great successes of Paul's ministry, not least in his perseverance in ministry, come from the fact that God is great and it's, it's his power that is working through Paul. I wonder if that's how we see the pressure that comes our way for being a Christian. I think if we're honest, often we want to run from pressure. Run from these things that Paul describes as being part and parcel of this life as Christians. In our weakness, God gets the glory. But Jesus is also seen, notice with me in verses 10 and 11, he says in verse 10, we always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. Verse 11, for we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that his life may also be revealed in our mortal body. Twice in these verses, Paul is saying that God causes him to share in Christ's sufferings so that the resurrection victory of Christ might be revealed in his body. Paul experiences Jesus' death 
And he also experiences Jesus' life. That's what he's saying here. And so as Paul perseveres in gospel ministry in the face of trials, it's going to force people to ask, how does he keep going? He's so weak. He's so unimpressive. Where does he get the strength from to endure? And it will be clear to everyone that Paul's perseverance can only be attributed to the resurrection power of Jesus. We also see that in Paul's weakness, people are getting saved. That's what we see in verse 12. That's the result of Paul's, uh, of, of Jesus' death being at work in Paul. Look at verse 12 with me. The result of Paul's weakness is life in other people. So then death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. Paul's suffering, you see, and his endurance are intended to bring about the same resurrection life among the Corinthians as they also learn to trust God in their trials and in their weaknesses. Okay, so how else does God use our weakness from this passage? Number two, our weakness. In our weakness, we know that God will one day raise us and bring us into Jesus' presence. If you look down at verses 13 and 15 with me, uh, you'll see that that's exactly what they're describing. Paul starts off by quoting Psalm 116 that Matt read for us earlier on in the service. And in some ways, Paul is a bit like the psalmist in Psalm 116 verse 10, who maintains his faith in the face of suffering and and speaks about this uh, faith and this suffering. Even though in all the difficulties that Paul was going through, it, it, it felt like he was being given over to death, even through all that, he doesn't stop preaching the gospel because he knows that in the future, God himself will raise Paul from the dead to live with Jesus in God's presence. That's what verse 14 is, is telling us. And so, knowing that that's what lies ahead of him, Paul goes on preaching. He knows that his eternal future is secure, that death is not the end for him, and so he doesn't need to fear it. And notice also that Paul specifically mentions that the Corinthians will also be there in God's presence on that last day. Again, in verse 14, he's willing to suffer for them now because of the transformation that's going to come to his hearers as well as them. This will include more people giving thanks to God. Enduring suffering uh, is not easy. Enduring suffering for the gospel is not easy. But the eternal uh, security of us as Christians and the knowledge that our labors are not in vain save us from losing heart. They cause us to keep going, to keep speaking the truth of God's Word to people. Thirdly, we see that in our weakness, we know that God will change us and prepare us for a future glory. This is what verses 16 to 18 talk about. Look with me at verse 16. It says that we Therefore, we do not lose heart. It would be very easy to lose heart with that list of things that Paul is facing. But yet, despite his weakness and in spite of his suffering, his suffering as an apostle of Jesus, Paul doesn't lose heart. That's amazing for him to be able to say that in view of all that we've seen that he's going through. Though he's outwardly wasting away 
through the, the, just the passing of time, the weakening of his body, and through the effects of his suffering in this evil age, inwardly he's being renewed on a daily basis. He's being spiritually transformed more and more like Christ. With all this nice weather that we've been having in the, uh, the past few days, uh, a lot of friends are sharing photographs of climbing uh, different hills in our beautiful countryside. And if you've ever been mad enough to climb a hill, uh, you'll know that it's, it's a slog, it's hard work, it's not easy. You have to endure. It's painful. But the thing that you realize, the thing that keeps you going, is the view from the top, the, the fact that you are going to make it. The fact that you're going to share some time on the top with friends and enjoy that destination. And amazingly, in this passage, we see that Paul's eternal perspective, his ability to look forward to what's to come, is the thing that enables him to call his present suffering light and momentary. If you've read 2 Corinthians, you'll see the things that Paul goes through. Look look with me at chapter 11, for example. Come over to chapter 11, verse 23 to 29. It's just, here are the things that Paul describes as light and momentary, okay? Uh, he has worked hard. He's been in prison more frequently. He's been flogged more severely. He's been exposed to death again and again. Five times he's received the, from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times beaten with rods. Once pelted with stones. Three times he was shipwrecked. He spent a night and day in the open sea constantly on the move, in danger from rivers and bandits and fellow Jews and Gentiles, in the city, in the country, at sea, from false believers. He's labored and toiled. He's gone without sleep and food. He's been thirsty, cold, and naked. And then this daily pressure of his concern for all the churches. This is what Paul, in view of eternity, is able to call light and momentary suffering. This is not kind of stiff upper lip stuff. This is not him being naive or stoical about his suffering. His focus is very clearly on the good that comes out of his weakness and his suffering rather than on his weakness and suffering itself. But what is the good that comes out of Paul's suffering? Well, we see that in 16 and 17. The first thing is transformation. God's sustaining grace during Paul's suffering transforms him now. Yes, he will be transformed in the age to come, but he's transformed now. It enables him to look now beyond the very visible uh, temporary suffering that he's enduring to the unseen, heavenly, eternal realities. So out of Paul's suffering comes transformation. The second thing that comes out of Paul's suffering is glory. Verse 17, I think, is very surprising. We might expect Paul to say that his suffering prepares him for glory, uh, but what he actually says is that his suffering somehow achieves for them an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. It's almost as if Paul is saying that his heavenly bank balance is getting bigger and bigger, if you like, as he suffers. 
And so taking all these things together then, Paul does not lose heart because the same resurrection power that made Jesus rise from the dead is at work in Paul and Timothy. Jar of clay that they are. Despite his weakness, despite his hardship, God is being glorified and the life of Jesus is being seen through him. And that is going to lead to others coming to know Christ and achieve for them unmatchable glory. And you see, it has to be in this order. The super apostles who were unimpressed with Paul believed in glory now. But that's not the pattern that the Lord Jesus set for Paul and set for us. Listen to these verses about Jesus and tell me if this looks like weakness or strength. Okay, this is how Isaiah, a prophet speaking hundreds of years before Jesus came to earth, described what Jesus would be like. Isaiah 53, verse 2 and 3. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain, like one from whom people hid their faces. He was despised, and we held him in low esteem. This is how Jesus describes his circumstances as he lived on earth in Luke's gospel. Jesus says, foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. And then this is the description of Jesus' death in Matthew 27 that we saw a couple of weeks ago uh, on, on, on Sunday morning. Matthew 27, we see in verse 26 that Jesus is flogged. Verse 29, Jesus is mocked. Verse 30, Jesus is spat upon. And so it goes on until the cross. Hum humanly speaking, this is all weak. From prophecies before Jesus' time, to Jesus' own words about himself, to descriptions about how he lived this earth, weakness, not success, humanly speaking. This is the pattern and example of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord Jesus Christ. This is his pattern for us to follow. And if you're here tonight and you don't know Christ as your Savior and Lord, our hope is that you will do something about that tonight. Whether you realize that you're weak or not, whether your life is going successful, successfully or not, we are all wasting away. That is the reality of our situation, whether we're Christians or not. And the question that you've got to be asked is whether you've got to ask is whether you're being renewed day by day or not. Whether the Lord Jesus is at work in you right now to change you and transform you to be more like him. Whether you know the forgiveness of sins. We will all spend eternity somewhere. Either it will be eternal glory with the Lord Jesus Christ in his presence, or it will be eternal damnation in hell, separated from him, unending pain, unending trouble, trouble that is not light and is not momentary. You have to respond to this gospel. And what a day it would be to do that on this Easter Sunday. I would love to talk to you about that if you do not have that hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, what would it look like if we took these amazing truths on board as a church? I think there's, even as I study this passage, there's still a bit of me that thinks, oh, Paul was pretty special, you know, a bit unique, right? Maybe he can endure these things. So I want to give you an ordinary example of somebody going through this. 
This is a lady that I've known for a long time, and many of you have known for even longer. Her name is Teresa Wilson. She's one of our missionaries, right? She is just an ordinary lady. She would say this herself, but I want to tell you about some of the stuff that she has gone, really weak stuff for God's glory. Teresa and her colleague Beata work for Wycliffe Bible Translators in Papua New Guinea. Um, and when they went to the Ninigo Islands in 2002, the first thing they had to do was write down an alphabet. This is how remote this place was, okay? Nobody had written down the alphabet. Sounds good so far. A few weeks into this trip, they had to get evacuated because they got dengue fever. And they couldn't return to the island for an, islands for another five months. And so it wasn't until 2003 that they actually uh, knew enough of the language to run a workshop and to establish a kind of trial alphabet for the same language. Only at that point could they start on the literacy and the translation. Life for them has often looked very weak. Okay, let me tell you some of the stuff they've been through. In this challenging part of the world, they've suffered from malaria. Uh, they've weathered powerful storms in small boats. Uh, once their boat's motor failed, and they drifted for six hours in shark-infested waters uh, before landing on this tiny island. And if they hadn't landed on that island, it was the last bit of land between them and hundreds and hundreds of miles of open sea. This is not Paul, not the Apostle Paul. We're talking about a lady who's a member of our church, one of our missionaries, okay? In spite of this, they've persevered so that the same people can have the Word of God. Ten years later, of this sort of stuff, the same people have received the New Testament in their own language. This is what one of the islanders said when he got Sorry, it's not like a test me. You're not going to have to come up. Don't worry. This is what happened when Robert Benny got a Bible in his own language because Teresa and Beata endured suffering and weakness. He says, I feel so wonderful. It's like I just found a pair of glasses and I can really see. Before, the image was blurred, but now I can really see it. That is how I feel about this Bible. We are so glad you've been so generous. Some of you tonight may be called to do things like that for the Lord Jesus Christ. Turning your back on uh, success in colleges and universities and in the workplace to go and do something like that for the Lord Jesus. People will think that looks weak. People will think that looks unimpressive. But that is what some of you might be called to do with your life. For many of us, we will stay here. But we are called to no less of a weak life for the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. I know that if I went around this room and spoke to you, those of you that are Christians and asked you, what is the thing that you most want for your friends and family that are unsaved at this point? I know that you would tell me in an instant that you want to see them saved. My question to you is this. Is your life like what Paul describes? Are you 
carrying around Christ's death for the sake of others? Can you say that death is at work in me, but life is at work in this people? It's a challenge to read how Paul lived his life for the sake of others. I think another way our church could look uh, different if we apply this teaching is that we would look less like the super apostles. I grew up in a church context where I thought older people had it all sorted. Uh, They never looked weak. They never talked about weakness. They never talked about how God was doing something through their weakness for His glory and for His fame. We need to talk like the people that we really are. We need to pretend that we're not weak. And we need to be able to say, yeah, though I am perplexed, I'm not in despair. Uh, Though I'm persecuted, I'm not abandoned. We need to talk about our weakness, but we also need to talk about the butt knots and share how God is sustaining us, not coming across to people who are younger than us in the faith as sorted, because we're really not. We're just kidding ourselves. There is a hopefulness to the way the apostle Paul speaks. He's not glossing over how hard life is. He is perplexed. He is hard-pressed. He is persecuted. He is struck down. He's not glossing over those things, but there is also these but-nots. And so, when we speak about our weakness to one another, let's have that hopefulness about what God is doing in our weakness. Let me close by saying this. It's almost the end of Easter Sunday. Are we going to forget the resurrection for another year? Are we going to forget that the power of the resurrection that was at work all those, Easter, all those Easter's ago to raise the Lord Jesus Christ is at work in us, in our weakness? Or are we going to be those who understand that actually the resurrection is for every day, not just for Easter? Will we be people who begin to see that the power of God that was at work in the resurrection is the same power that is at work in us, sustaining us and causing us to be useful in the service of God despite our weakness. Let's pray.